Good morning, everybody. Easter is here. We're going to dive in and uh, reflect together and study a little bit of scripture as we usually do in our worship. Uh, but before we do that, let's pray. Father, would you help us now to hear from you? Uh, would you make your word understandable and apply it in our hearts and our minds in ways that bring us to greater places of faith and trust and dependence on you. Thank you, God, that we can worship you. Even though we are scattered, we are gathered. We are gathered because of your Holy Spirit. Uh, we are paying attention to you and to your word. So would you teach us now? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, he is risen. And you say, he is risen indeed. And the question is, so what? Why does it matter that people who follow Jesus all around the world claim that Jesus is risen indeed? That's what I want to talk about this morning. And I hope you and your family are gathered together for worship around your TVs, smartphones, computers, various devices, uh, and uh, are ready to hear from God. Because that's my, been my prayer all week long that we would. You know, in all my 40 years plus of doing ministry, uh, this is probably the most unusual time of all. It's my understanding that about one third of our planet is in lockdown. Uh, there's a prime minister and a future king of England uh, battling the coronavirus even as we speak. People are out of work. More than 10 million people applied for unemployment benefits at the end of the month of March. Another 7 million have applied since then. Uh, we are expecting that there will be well over 20 million people unemployed uh, before this all uh, kind of winds down. National debt, of course, is at an all-time high. There are over a million and a half people in the world infected with the coronavirus. Over 100,000 deaths in the world so far, over 18,000 in the United States. This is a time to ask the question, what in the heck is going on? It's a time to talk about ultimate issues, issues like life and death. And so I ask you, do you know what happens to a person when they die? Does anybody really know? Uh, a woman is moving her business to a new location and she throws a big celebration to thank her customers that have been with her uh, for some period of time. And she orders a, a huge bouquet of flowers and the florist unfortunately gets her order mixed up with a family that's uh, having to participate in a funeral. And she ends up with a huge flower arrangement that says, we're so sorry for your loss. And of course, she's not pleased about this. She calls the florist. She expresses her uh, consternation over this. He apologizes profusely, but he tells her, you know, you think you have problems. He says, I have to talk to a family that had a funeral with a huge flower arrangement that said, good luck in your new location. Now think about that for a moment. That's the question, the really big question that we need to be asking. Is there going to be a new location? And are you going to want to be there in that new location? Friends, this is the ultimate question we all face. Is there going to be a new location? Sadly, in our world, our only problem isn't the coronavirus. We have terrorists. We have wars, we have despotic dictators, 
We wonder, will our poor, bleeding planet ever find justice? Will it ever find peace? And today is the day when followers of Jesus ordinarily gather for worship and we say to one another, and it doesn't matter what continent or what language or or what culture you come from, we say Jesus Christ is risen and there's a response. People respond by saying he is risen indeed. And that little word indeed is the word that I would like to talk about with you uh, for the next few minutes. Because we live in a world where that word might seem like kind of a stretch. Indeed, of course, means for sure, no doubt, absolutely, it is true. Uh, There is a new location, a location that we go to after we die. There is, in fact, a reason to say he is risen indeed. Uh, Maybe for you, as I said, that word is a stretch. Maybe if you're going to be honest about it, you gathered around your TV just to make somebody, some member of your family uh, happy. Maybe you used to follow Jesus, but your sense of faith has ebbed in recent years. Maybe you admire Jesus. You think his teachings are wonderful. They're good. But the idea of him being resurrected from the dead, well, that seems like religious wishful thinking. If that's you, I am really glad that you're watching this morning. The first thing I want you to know is thoughtful people have wrestled with this idea of Jesus' resurrection ever since the first day it was announced. In fact, that is why the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth a long time ago, and he said these words. He said, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? That's his question. Now understand, he's writing to people inside the church. These are people who say they love God, they want to follow Jesus, but they find the idea of a resurrection to be a bit of a stretch, something difficult to believe. And so Paul teases out the implications of this question he's asked. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, We are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. He doesn't stop there. He then says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And that's where we get that little word, indeed. Paul says, not just Christ has been raised, but Christ has indeed been raised. In the Greek language in which Paul was writing in that day, the word indeed is the first word in that sentence. It's there to be emphatic. Paul is betting the farm, so to speak, on this idea that Jesus has been raised from the dead. He is staking everything on it. And so I want to look this morning at two questions. First, why did Paul say indeed? Why were he and others so convinced that this was true? And second, What difference does it make for us? Why does it matter for us? Why would Paul and others in that early movement called the church stake their lives on this truth? 
Now, what's important about the first uh, question is that a lot of folks in our day kind of assume that people living 2,000 years ago were just pre-scientific people. Uh, They were gullible. They were naive. They were prone to believe foolish things, things like a resurrection. But in actual fact, that's not the way the real events spun out. Actually, initially, everybody was skeptical, and nobody believed it. The first two witnesses, first few witnesses, were some women who followed Jesus, and they went to the tomb on Easter morning, not because they were expecting a resurrection, but precisely because they were not. They went to anoint and to care for a dead body. And when they got to the tomb, the stone covering of that grave was gone. It had been rolled away. And when they arrived, we're told this. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. You see, they didn't respond immediately when they heard that by saying, wow, this is just awesome. We kind of thought something like this might happen. On the contrary, the uh, writer of the Gospel of Mark tells us this, that these women, trembling and bewildered, went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So you see, that very first announcement that Jesus Christ is risen did not get back a he is risen indeed. It received confusion. It received fear. What it received was silence. And then later on, when the women eventually told the disciples about the angel's words and the empty tomb, here's the disciples' response. It says, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. These are the disciples that Jesus has been teaching now for three years. And this is not the first time a group of men stubbornly refused to listen to a group of women. And whatever you might think about the story of Jesus' resurrection, one of the reasons why it's very difficult to believe that somebody just made it up, it's right here. You see, in that culture, in that day, women were not regarded as credible witnesses. They were most often not allowed to give testimony in a court of law. And so nobody would have made up a story about something like a resurrection and then said that women were the first and the primary witnesses of that event. And yet in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's the story. The only reason to be told that detail, that women were the first and primary witnesses, is that that's the way it happened. Now, the initial skepticism continued. Uh, This is from the Gospel of John. We read that on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. In other words, at the end of that first uh, Easter weekend, Jesus had died the tomb is discovered to be empty. Peter and John have witnessed, they've, they've seen the empty tomb. Some of the women have actually met Jesus, talked to Jesus, and the disciples are not walking around, you know, high-fiving each other saying, he is risen, he is risen indeed. In fact, to their own later embarrassment, no doubt, all of the New Testament gospels record the disciples' skepticism and their slowness to believe this announcement that Jesus Christ is risen. 
Now, in their defense, they were skeptical for exactly the same reasons that we would have been skeptical. They knew, like we know, that dead bodies don't come back to life. Uh, Even in the ancient world, pre-scientific people uh, were aware of this fact. They knew this to be true. We are not the first people in the history of the human race to discover this fact. And that's why it took two realities to give these very skeptical people confidence that Jesus was actually risen indeed. The first reality was that the tomb was empty. Uh, Of course, it could be that somebody had come and taken his body away, or it could be that maybe Jesus was never dead to start with. Uh, But the second reality kind of dismisses those two reasons. The second reality is that the, the report that spread was not simply about where Jesus wasn't. It was also about where Jesus was. And where was he? Well, he was with Mary, telling her not to be afraid. He was with Thomas, telling Thomas, you don't have to doubt anymore, Thomas. Uh, Here's my hand. Here's my side. Touch me. Put your finger there. He was with Peter, who had denied him three times. And he was telling Peter, you don't have to live in guilt and shame anymore, Peter. You know, believe in me. Feed my sheep, he told him. Uh, He was with the disciples, who were unspeakably discouraged at this moment. And he was saying to them, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then one day, days later, he came to the apostle Paul, who at that time was called Saul. And when Paul first heard about people going around saying, Jesus is risen, Paul was a very bright man. He was not a gullible rube who immediately responded, oh yeah, he is risen indeed. No, not at all. In fact, Paul was very much convinced that the story of the resurrection was a hoax. It was a lie. So much so that Paul spent considerable time, effort, and energy actually persecuting the people who tried to spread the resurrection story. Until one day, the risen Jesus came to Paul personally and changed his life forever. And the point is this. Jesus was not only not in the tomb, Jesus was everywhere else. There were witnesses everywhere of the resurrection. Uh, You could have said that it was grave robbers, except he keeps appearing to people. You could have said that these appearances were hallucinations, uh, and except for the fact that the tomb itself was empty. It was the combination of the empty tomb and these appearances of Jesus that led the early followers to realize something unprecedented, something unbelievable has happened. Something so important that it changes everything. And actually, there is no other good, credible way to explain the sudden explosive emergence of the church. Uh, Jesus' followers went from frightened, discouraged, you know, hiding behind locked doors to people courageously and boldly going to their death in service of this man, Jesus. One of the ways that Christianity is rather unique among other religions uh, is that we know the very day that Christianity, as we think about it, we know the very day it started. And that's not necessarily true for other faiths. Um, As great a teacher as Jesus was, nobody ever got a group together and said, you know, we've just got to start a new religion to spread the teachings of Jesus who died. You know, I mean, stuff like the prodigal son and the good Samaritan and the Beatitudes, we ought to pass those teachings along. No, no. The truth is, 
that on Saturday, the day after Jesus had been crucified, Christianity did not exist. And on Sunday, a day later, it did. On Saturday, as a matter of historical record, the movement that Jesus had been leading and teaching and inspiring, that movement was dead. No human being could have started it back up. But on Sunday night, the movement was alive. In fact, no human being at that point could have stopped it. Only one explanation makes any sense of those facts, and that is that Jesus Christ is risen indeed. Gang, it's not just that this is true. It's that this truth matters. You see, I'm here to tell you this truth matters more than any other truth, more than anything else. It matters because what it means is that Jesus was right. He knew what he was talking about when it came to talking about the heavenly father, when it came to talking about God's love, when it came to talking about God's hatred of sin and God's desire for justice to be done and God's forgiveness and God's mercy, Jesus was right about all those things. And so when Jesus said things like, I am the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me will live even though he dies, he was right. Uh, when he, Jesus said, a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. Jesus is identifying himself with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is making a claim to deity. Jesus said, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. He's telling the truth. He is the embodiment of truth. And so if you trust in Jesus, if you follow Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, nothing can separate you from God or from his love for you. No matter how bleak or how dark things might get, uh, not trouble, not hardship, not persecution, not famine, not nakedness or danger or sword, certainly not a virus. Ultimately, if you follow Jesus, you have nothing, nothing to fear. This is why Paul wrote and he said, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Anybody who has ever preached a sermon on Easter can relate to what Paul is saying there. Uh, trying to get an Easter message right because of the weight of this event and the importance of the resurrection and uh, Christian understanding, uh, trying to preach a message around that is kind of a daunting task. As I was working on this message, I was feeling some of that pressure, uh, kind of anxious. You know, will I put together a message that will be up to part given all of the special circumstances of this particular Easter? And um, I went back and I read some of my old Easter messages. And as I did that, I, I realized they were not all that great either. And I kind of felt a little better about this message. Uh, but the Easter message, you see, is really a very simple message. Uh, bottom line, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and mine. So that sin and death and guilt and hell might be defeated forever. So that God's sacrificial love and mercy and grace and justice could be given to sinners like you and like me. This is all true, understand. It's true because Jesus is risen indeed. 
If that's not true, if Jesus has not been raised, if his body still lies rotted in a tomb somewhere, it doesn't matter at all how clever the preaching might be on any given Easter. There's no real hope. There's no new location coming when we leave this location. But if it's true that he is risen indeed, well, then you see the preaching is not futile no matter how inadequate it is. Because the task of this message that I preach or any other preacher is not to persuade or to inspire or to challenge or to change hearts because only God can do that. The point of this message, friends, is simply to point to the one great fact, the one great hope in the face of sin and death, our two great enemies. And to be able to say with confidence that Jesus Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. You see, the tomb was empty. He was not there. But thanks be to God, Jesus is here. He is with you. He is with me. He's talking to some of us right now. Some of us feel it. And you know if he's talking to you. This morning, if you are sensing that God is real, that Jesus is God's son, that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he is risen. And if you want to put your faith in him and if you want to follow him, well, I invite you to come join the family, God's family. Come be a part of this very, very imperfect group of people. It's called the church. It's a group of people striving to follow Jesus. And I invite you to simply pray this prayer with me. If that's what you're feeling and that's what you're thinking, all you have to do is pray a prayer like this and mean it. And this transition will happen. You'll be adopted into the family of God. Here's the prayer. Pray it with me if you feel led to do so. God, I confess my need for you. I repent of my wrongdoing. I change my mind about it. I turn from it. I repent of my sin and of my brokenness. And I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me and give me a new start. I declare my intent from this day forward as you help me to follow Jesus as the guide and the friend and the master of my life. Amen. I promise you, friends, if you pray that prayer and mean it, God heard you and he has come into your life. His spirit now lives inside of you. And I would encourage you, if you are making that decision this morning, there are four things you need to do. First, you need to get a Bible and you need to start reading it. If you don't have a Bible, contact us at Deer Creek Church. We will get you one. But start reading that Bible. Start reading one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Any one of them is okay. But start reading one of the Gospels because that will tell you more about this person you've just committed yourself to following. And then start talking to God. It's called prayer. Just start talking to God about what's going on in your life, about how, things you think and things you feel. Start talking to God. He will hear you and he will answer prayer. And then tell someone that you know who follows Jesus. Tell someone you've made this commitment that you too are now following Jesus. It's important you do that so that they can pray for you and come alongside you and encourage you. 
And then lastly, when you're able, uh, I don't know when this is going to happen exactly, but when you're able, get involved in a good church. What's a good church? A good church is a church that is teaching, carefully teaching, accurately teaching the Bible. That will help you grow. As you do those things, then you will be growing spiritually and you will be following Jesus. And part of following Jesus is learning to die to your old way of life. He will help you do that. He will make that possible. Uh, Dying to old habits, dying to false gods, things you used to worship, things you used to think you had to have in order to survive, dying to sinful pursuits, dying to your ego, dying to your self-centeredness. You see, this dying happens now as we follow Jesus in preparation for the future when we relocate and go to heaven. Um, These things happen now as we follow Jesus. But we don't just die. We also experience something called new life. The Bible calls it abundant life. We start to experience that now. Following Jesus is absolutely the best way to live our lives. Um, It's me becoming who I'm really meant to be. It's, it's me free of addictions and free of hatred and free of self-absorption. It's me loving God and loving people the way I was made to be. And as I grow spiritually, I discover new hope day in, day out. Each new morning brings new hope, hope in Jesus. And it is a hope that overcomes. It overcomes things like viruses And it overcomes bigger things, things like sin and things like death, because Jesus overcame them for us. I want to pray and close our time uh, this morning, this Easter worship. And I would ask all of you, if you can, just bow your heads and let's close our time of worship together in prayer. God, I pray for everybody listening and watching this morning. I pray for marriages. I pray for families. I pray for people in the grips of depression or an addiction or a failure or an emotional wound. I pray for them to have hope. Hope rooted and grounded in you, Jesus. Resurrection hope. Give them assurance, Father, that you are in the business of resurrections. You resurrected your son, Jesus. You will resurrect us to everlasting life with you as we believe in and follow your son. Help us, Heavenly Father. Grow in us the hope we need to overcome, to persevere, to trust and believe and to follow you. And I pray this in the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen Indeed. God bless.